Hello and welcome to the PHBS podcast with myself, Will Bowen, and my co-host, Roberta Lazari. Here on the podcast today, we have with us Eleanor Manley. Eleanor is the co-founder of Metaspace, which is seeking to help companies prevent, report, and resolve workplace misconduct with a focus on gender equality and inclusion. Passionate about data science, she firmly believes that ML applications can have broader, positive repercussions on gender equality and women's roles in our societies. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Eleanor, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Uh, could you explain to us how Metaspace works and what is the mission? Mm-hmm, definitely. So we started Metaspace um, after being witness to a bad sexual harassment case that found no resolution. And so from that, we decided that we wanted to help companies um, prevent report and resolve workplace misconduct at large. And we do this purely through tech. Um, so we do this with a mobile application for employees, um, an NLP algorithm for detection, and then a resolution center uh, for companies to actually resolve cases if they do come in. And more specifically, looking at the uh, the technology um, in of itself, what's the core, I guess, the core driver behind it? Is it all kind of NLP based? How do you maintain anonymity to the whole thing? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. So to have this in terms of probably the worst websites on the internet that no one wants to go on. And so I use that as a basis uh, for the natural language processing algorithm. So that's the prevention aspect of it. And then moving on to the reporting aspect of it, that's a mobile application. Uh, so you can have it on iOS or Android where users or employees um, have access to it with, by their company. And they log in and then they can report all types of workplace misconduct. And going on your point, William, they have the possibility to do so anonymously if they choose. Um, and that is obviously based on like how our database is set up and how it's encrypted and the way that we then send it to them. The company is purely anonymized. Um, but one of the really important aspects of this mobile app is that it's allows for open communication between you and the company um, because we didn't want to be just like a whistleblowing system where you just submit a report and then you can't actually communicate with the person that might be dealing with your case because it's anonymous. So we actually have um, kind of like a me- messenger system within the app where once you've submitted a case, it opens a message box and then your either head of HR will have the opportunity to message you and try to resolve the case more conversationally, even if it's online, than necessarily going through a real formal reporting and resolution process, which is sometimes really negative, both for, for the employee um, as well as the company. And how did you come up with the idea of Metaspace and where do you see it fit within the sphere of HR? Yeah, so so as mentioned, we, we started it from our own personal experience and, and having witnessed um, a case of sexual harassment. And so at the time I was doing a master's in data science and Helena, my co-founder, was doing a a masters in cybersecurity. So we obviously went about it from a very technical perspective. And so we spent the following eight months just really doing research about, okay, how prolific is sexual harassment? Um, how often is it occurring within organizations? So we we did surveys, focus groups, and and I think it was really when we were doing company interviews, um, especially with HR leaders, that it really switched And that's when we developed the business itself um, because we came to realization that it wasn't just sexual harassment, but it was workplace harassment at large that was affecting organizations massively. And one of the main issues is that 
the 99.8% of all cases go unreported. So you have this big hidden problem where HR doesn't even know about it. But when it does come to light, even though very rarely when it does come to light, they don't actually have very good processes for reporting. Um, so you know it's not often reported and then they don't have any resolution processes because it doesn't people don't report it very often so they don't have much experience with dealing with it so it's this kind of vicious cycle of workplace misconduct which usually leads women to resign more often than to report and for people to experience massive retaliation when they do so I think it's about 40% of all people who report experience a form of retaliation in the form of uh, that could be being ostracized by their peers it could be missing out on promotions it could even be losing their jobs so that's really why we started my space so um aside from the i mean you've mentioned a bit about the the process that's a major i guess mm-hmm. barrier uh to reporting are there any other factors that you've noticed at metaspace that that cause um this kind of barrier this this gap unless you've experienced it already and and uh, you're experiencing it for the first time and then you wonder about reporting i suppose um, what's this kind of major barrier you, you recognize? I think that, so when we were doing, um, obviously we do, we did a lot of surveys and when we interview people about, you know, so you've experienced harassment, why didn't you report it? That was one of our main questions. And there were things that came up time and time again. And one of them was, again, as I, I mentioned, this fear of retaliation, um, which one may argue that they're completely correct in having a fear of retaliation as 40% of people who do report experience some form. So obviously retaliation is really important, really up to the company to kind of completely remove. And then the second one I would say is that most people don't recognize that they're being harassed for a very, very long time. So usually it takes about three months for someone, especially when it comes to sexual harassment, to actually recognize the behavior as sexual harassment. And by that point, it's gotten so bad that reporting isn't worthwhile for them. They just want to remove themselves from the situation altogether. And that's why women are more likely to leave their jobs and to report. And so this is really when the NLP and the prevention aspect comes in, because what we're trying to do is create a bit of like a psychological click where we say hey this language actually isn't correct can we double check with you if you're okay with it because obviously we don't want to get rid of relationships within organizations be it um you know relationships in all its forms you can have workplace friends and that's so so important in the workplace right so you don't want to have someone who's actually saying kind of dictating to you what language you should be using among your peers but we do have the system where basically if there's a language that might be seen as perhaps discriminatory or perhaps being flagged up as harassment possibility we then want to ask the users hey, are you okay with this language? If William or Roberta says, yes, actually, I'm fine with this language, then it becomes less sensitive to future communications. So it's really about ensuring that the system works for you um, and that it's not seen as kind of a detection mechanism that would perhaps harm the very important workplace relationships and positive workplace culture. So in terms of the the NLP, are you... um effectively monitoring language or exchanges through email or has this been a a barrier to I guess Metaspace working with with companies uh could you explain a little bit more about about that part of it yeah 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so obviously, I'm extremely fortunate that my co-founder works in cybersecurity. So data privacy is really top of our agenda. We tend to joke that I'm the hacker and she's the one stuffing. Um, but really, what we what we see in terms of the NLP. So firstly, it's important to note that right now we're just selling the reporting and the resolution to organizations. The NLP is really something that we're still trying to work out where best we can plug it in so as to ensure that it's not seen as like a monitoring device. Um, but what's really fundamental to us is ultimately you have to get both the um, insurance from the organization, say, hey, we wanna use your product, which is obvious, but then also from the individuals to say, yes, I'm also okay with you using it. So you can kind of compare it to maybe a plugin that you'd use on Google Chrome. So you, you have to accept all of that the plugin allows you to do. Um, so that's really like our goal. And ultimately we're very much along the lines of ethical AI. So we don't collect data just for the sake of collecting data. The only data that we would collect and store is if it's flagged up by the user as being potentially harmful. Um, so it's really like the minimal, we have no interest in having people's personal messages or personal activity on our databases because it just serves no purpose to us. I guess sometimes it could be difficult to have the courage to report an episode of um, sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. um, how do you encourage employees to report? Yeah, so I think that firstly, just in terms of the the way in which you can report is really fundamental. So when, and that's why I think we also go on the basis that companies need to have the three pillars of prevent, report and resolve to actually have employees speak up. Because if you just have a reporting system without a transparent resolution system, people aren't going to report. Or if you have prevention, but without anything else, it's still not gonna work. So that's really why we encourage people to have all three pillars. Um, and in terms of just like the, you know, better reporting, I think that you want like one of the, the reasons why we have given the reporting app on employees' personal mobile devices is to really empower them to feel like they're, they can do this in their own time, whenever they want, in the security of their own homes, perhaps. Um, and not have this affiliation to the organizations. Because if you're reporting directly to your organization, you may think, oh, this, this isn't going to be protected. This isn't for me. <laughs> this is really not in my benefit. Whilst we really want to create this kind of personal link where we create a trust between ourselves, the employee and the company. And I'm just wondering more from the kind of business side of things. Mm -hmm. How are you seeking to monetize this type of product? What type of business model are you going for with, mm -hmm. with work with, with companies? Yeah, so obviously impact is the most important thing for us about you know, creating gender, um, more gender equal workplaces and more inclusive workplaces. Nonetheless, we are a for-profit um, organization and that is also very important because you can't create impact unless you scale. Um, so that's why we chose this particular uh, business model. And so what we do is we have um, subscriptions, monthly subscriptions to our services. Um, so a company will pay like every month or they can obviously pay like on a yearly basis to use um, either reporting app resolution or prevention. Really, the way that we work out the pricing is hugely dependent on the size of the, the, the company itself. And um, more from the, I guess, uh, the the earlier days, uh, you were aware of an, an experience that then led you to start the company. What were the first steps you took to to starting this business? I think this is this has come up on on Morning Brew. And what's the scrappiest thing you did 
in starting uh, Metaspace to get it to get it going? What was that MVP that, that that got it going? Yeah, that's a good question. I um I think so. Bear in mind, my co-founder and I are both first-time founders. Um, but I did previously have a little bit of experience having worked in an impact VC in Madrid. So I had been a, a little bit within like social entrepreneur world and a bit more into like how startups do create business plans. But this question of like when you when you're creating an MVP, especially for, coming from us, you're a tech that people can test and can try to use and then inherently then you'll probably change it and then you'll sell the, the change product um so there's usually like some very clear an experienced person would have known that what you do is you design test and then build right like that seems like logical things to do yeah obviously we're not experienced so we just wanted to build and then so we designed and then we built and so I think that this that was probably the scrappiest thing that we did is like this idea of you want to produce something as quickly as possible for people to use but you have to test it um we were very fortunate that perhaps because we had done so many interviews and surveys and we had done eight months of research prior that that mistake wasn't that big and that we actually did produce something that was quite um a good basis for us to do an MVP but obviously I would recommend everyone else <laughs> the way that we did. And what has been the biggest challenge you've encountered in your entrepreneurial journey especially as a female and in a team of all women at Metaspace? You know you make small mistakes but then the learning curve is so exponential afterwards that you actually always end up seeing them as quite a positive um, but there is this classic case of perhaps like bias that you might encounter um, and this would occur specifically right very early on when we started the business. Now it doesn't seem to happen that much anymore. I'm not sure if it's perhaps the way that we present ourselves is different or maybe we just don't speak to those kinds of individuals anymore. But um, for example, um, when we started the company, bear in mind all three of the founding team were technical women. There would be quite a few comments about how we should maybe hire a man to be the CTO, which like the, the last thing we need is a, a another CTO, basically, we, especially just because it would be a man. We'd probably need like maybe someone on the business side. Um, but there was this idea that, you know, that that a man should be the technical representation of the organization. So that was probably like quite a clear bias. And we had that from a couple of people, this idea to hire men to kind of soften our approach, um, which also obviously we we there is no need for that and then I think the worst thing that anyone's ever said to me was probably um asking me if I was emotionally stable enough to actually um kind of start my own company especially something that was so close to like women's problems and like a woman challenge um which yeah again was a very clear bias about okay would this person be too emotional because they're dealing with sexual harassment and it's an issue of gender equality um, but apart from that, like, and that, again, as I mentioned, like, I never receive comments like that anymore. So I definitely think that it's probably also people would give you advice because they think that you need the advice because you're inexperienced. And I do genuinely think as a hopeless idealist and optimist myself that all of those comments did come from a good place and they were representing a rather more unfortunate bias that they had in the world. And they thought, hey, if you hire a man, your company will do better um no need to comment on that 
so I think yeah now we're just really really happy with with the progress that we've made and and the team ourselves we just we don't have any particular affiliation to staying in all female team it's just remained that way <laughs> and I think that as we grow obviously and and we raise funding well, that would probably evolve but yeah the founding team will always remain uh, all female or technical well, that, that's an incredible uh, journey that you, you've been through and um, some really striking questions there, um, to say the least. Um, so we just have time for one final question. Mm -hmm. And it's one we, we usually ask, but um, I'd like to ask it to, to, to you uh, again. Um, what advice would you give to um, any would-be entrepreneurs or, or uh, female founders uh, for that matter? Yeah, that's a great question. What advice would I give this idea of like burnout? is one that is, I think every founder experiences burnout and it's just about kind of managing your stress levels rather than trying to actually um, remove them altogether. So I think that like this is the advice, like people always talk about like work-life balance and ultimately I think that if you do start your own company, you have to accept that your work-life balance isn't going to be like a normal person's. And the quicker that you can come to that realization, probably the better because then it's easier to manage your expectations and it's easier to manage your stress levels. So I think really it's about designing your work-life balance to you rather than necessarily the expectations that you might usually have in a normal job. Because when you get into a startup, it's not normal. You're not in a normal environment. It's completely crazy and the growth and learning is exponential. Um, so just yeah like ride the wave and enjoy it as much as you can and and there's going to be ups and downs and, and that's totally fine well Eleanor, that's all we've got time for today but thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us thank you thank you both thanks for joining us for this episode if you haven't already join our community online on instagram where you can stay up to date with the latest episodes and reach out to us